0: Man, um, this is why we need each other in the body of Christ, because we all have different things that uh, God uses in our lives. And so um, I'm totally only joking, by the way, Um, if you just, if everyone calls Mark when you need prayer, um, he's not going to get anything else done. So you might need to call me or Pastor John or someone else too. But uh, I do love it when he prays over us, because there's just something that, just pours out of him. So, praise God. Um, today, we are in part 14 of our series, Trust the Story. Hard to believe that uh, we've been 14 weeks in, and we're going to go through the end of the year. So, you you know we're going to get to like part 40 or something, but um, it just is is what we're doing this year. And so, if you've got a Bible, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to recap today. Um, if you've missed any of the previous 13 messages, and I say something today that maybe you're like, "What? where is he getting that from? Um, you might just need to go back and listen to one of the other ones, or have a cup of coffee with me, and I'll let you know where I get that from. Um, uh, we're just not going to take the time every week. Obviously, as we keep going, it would take longer and longer to unpack all of that, and uh, we just don't have time for it. So we're using the book, The Untold Story, by Frank Viola. You can still pick up a copy at the Welcome Center if you want one. Last week, We read the pages that correspond to the book of First Thessalonians, and today, or this coming week, we're going to be reading Acts 18, 1 to 22, and 2 Thessalonians. So Paul in Corinth, and the book of 2 Thessalonians that he writes while in Corinth, we believe. And the corresponding pages, of course, in Frank's book, pages 103 to 106. So I put up a lot of resources this week on the Slack page, Um, some videos, some kid videos. Okay. By the way, the kid videos I put on there are not for kids. I mean, they are. But they're for us as adults, okay? All of us should watch these because they're they're pretty important. And so if you can access those, uh, I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, The map of Paul's second missionary journey, which is where Paul is right now. And uh, today we're going to talk about not losing sight of the forest. That's the title of my message. Don't lose sight of the forest. Um, If you know the phrase, don't lose sight of the forest for the trees, In other words, there are times where we can get, you know, so focused on this thing in front of me, this group of things in front of me, and we miss the greater narrative that's happening. The Pharisees did this. Jesus said, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. In other words, they lost sight of the forest for the trees. It's not the trees aren't true, and it's not the trees aren't important. But there's a greater narrative, and that's what this whole series is all about. It's trusting the greater narrative of God's story. I don't believe, as evangelical Christians, we are good at articulating the story God tells from Genesis to Revelation. I think there's an entire narrative that we miss because we just zero in on certain things, trees. uh, Even what we call the gospel. Um, and I think as we walk through um, second, or First Thessalonians, we're going to see that. But I believe these are exciting days to be alive. I mean, you may be like, oh, you're crazy. Uh, no, I think it, they are. And I think Restoration Church is primed for this moment. I believe the things that we started talking about back in 2018 are starting to begin to be unveiled in our lives. When we changed our name to Restoration Church back in 2018, um, people made the argument, you know, just changing our name isn't going to change who we are. Correct. But we were feeling like God was calling us to change who we were, and the name was prophetic in that sense. I believe that's starting to happen. Uh, Are we fully there yet? No. No. But back in 2018, I started preaching what restoration meant for us as a church, and we used the the scripture from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, to strive for full restoration. I preached three different times throughout the year, once in March, once in June, and once in November, about what this restoration means. We changed our name officially that year in September, okay? So all of this began to transpire. In November, on November 11th, 2018, I sat on this stool in this room, and I preached this message to us as a church, that God is calling us to be a part of restoration in our community and in our world. There's this concept that these, quote-unquote, social issues are not a part of the gospel, I do believe that the greater narrative of God's story absolutely puts these social issues as part of the gospel. Reaching out to the poor, to the broken, the forgotten, the neglected, the orphan, is littered throughout the scripture because it is who God is. In fact, all of us, in some sense, are this person because God came to us when we could not go to him. The the gender restoration. I believe because of a few trees, the body of Christ at large has kept women out of the rightful place God has for them in the body of Christ, in leadership in the body of Christ, because we've lost sight of the forest for the trees. The generational divides that exist in our world today between the young and the old, the generation gaps. God's calling us to be a part of that. The denominational ones. I think. If you do not know the history of fundamentalism versus evangelicalism, you better study it. Because what happens is there's a movement of fundamentalism where we narrowly define who sits at our table. And we, we're more concerned with who's in and out of the kingdom than we are in the gospel of the kingdom. And evangelicalism split from fundamentalism. And drew bigger lines. Billy Graham, when he was alive, wasn't liked uh, so much by everybody. Because he cast a pretty wide tent. When Billy Graham went into a city to do a crusade, he invited churches that shouldn't be at the table in some people's minds. And so they, they didn't like that. They didn't like him. Now, Billy Graham wasn't justifying their behaviors or their theologies. He was just welcoming them to the table. And so we have to be careful that we don't draw these lines. I also sat here and talked to you about the racial restoration that God has called us as a church to be a part of. I sat here and I talked to you about the kneeling during the anthem and the police brutality that has been a part of our nation. Every police brutality case is not publicized in the media. So for those that think that we are making a big deal out of one issue, one moment, you don't understand the greater narrative that's taking place in our world today. You don't understand what is in the heart of God towards this issue. Okay, Please, 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 if you don't understand what I'm talking about or want to talk more, I would love to talk to you because I'm not asking anyone to step away from the table. I'm telling you what God put in my heart back in 2018 and that I uttered from this stool... On November 11th, 2018. So, it wasn't just the African American community. I talked to you about the Native American community. And the ignorance and the stuff that comes out of our mouths that is littered with, in my opinion, ignorant prejudice. It's that we don't understand some of the things that we're saying and we just keep articulating them. In the idea of the foreigners and even illegals that are in our country. Be careful of our rhetoric in this moment. This is what I said to you in 2018. We have to be slow to speak and quick to listen, okay? These issues are not as black and white as we want them to be. I called us to be sober, to be fully awake, and to be vigilant, to be intentional. I believe throughout the history of the church, the white evangelical church has been silent on social issues for far too long. And in the vacuum of our silence, a voice has risen up. A, yes, a far left, liberal, man-made voice has risen up. And we're yelling at that voice, but the reason the voice rose is because we didn't say anything. If you study the history of civil rights in our church, and people say, oh, pastor, you should just preach the gospel. Don't just preach the gospel. I am. This is the gospel. All all our world needs is Jesus. Sounds great. But slave owners went to church. They had Jesus. And they were angry that their slaves were praying together. The civil rights movement, we love to put Martin Luther King quotes all over everything right now. But when he was alive, his message wasn't applauded by the white church. If they were not vehemently opposing him, which many were with Jesus, they were just silent because it's it's not a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. This is the heart of our Father. Look at the prophets that prophesied to the nation of Israel. They are condemned as much, if not more, for the way they treat the foreigner, the poor, the widow, their workers, as they are for idolatry, at least as much. So this is a, an issue that is littered throughout the scripture and to, to try to make it a spiritual thing and say, well, we don't want politics in the church. Well, okay, uh, we don't mind abortion being talked about in the church but whenever those social issues are on our, the other side of our political line, well, then we start talking about political and it happens on the other side too. Um, this isn't a red issue. This isn't a blue issue. This is a people issue. And what I feel like God is calling us to do is to be a part of this incarnational gospel where we don't just preach the gospel, we live it. People like uh, Henry du- Duvant, if you know Henry Duvant, the founder of the Red Cross, born-again evangelical Christian, who wanted to do something about those that were being oppressed in the atrocities of war. So he established the Red Cross. William Booth, who saw the poor and the homeless, became the founder of the Salvation Army. Pentecostal, spirit filled believer that founded the Salvation Army. I mean, these are people that are born again believers that believe that if you claim to have faith in Christ, that faith should be lived out in the way that we live our lives. So I actually put on Slack this week, right now, media. There is a TV show called The Mr. Phil Show. I wa- go watch it. Watch about people like William Wilberforce. Watch about people like Rosa Parks. Watch about people like Martin Luther King Jr. Watch about people like Henry DuVant. And look at their stories of how their faith in Christ led them to bring change to their society. There, people will say, there's no such thing as a social gospel. You're right. But social issues are a part of the gospel. We cannot divorce them from this moment. And when I called us to it, I said that this isn't going to be easy, but inactivity and silence is not an option. People are going to misunderstand the things that I'm saying and the things that we are saying, the things that we are doing. But I promise you, Jesus himself brought people to the table that people didn't understand what they were doing at the table. But he did not just bring them to the table for the sake of just looking good. He brought them to the table for the sake of influencing them and bringing the gospel to them. So it's not enough to preach the gospel and not have corresponding action. It's not enough to just have action without preaching the gospel. We will be a church that will fully embrace both all the time. You say, well, that's a tall order. You're right. But I believe we need to be a part of this mission. Um, I've made statements on Facebook. I've posted things. Um, One of them that I want to share with you today Because what I want us to understand is, um, sometimes people say, well, these issues, these are trees. They're trees. Do we focus just on these issues? No. But Jesus took a hard line stance on some of these issues. We need to follow suit. We need to be careful that we don't just jump in, hook, line, and sinker, and go far to that direction on these issues. But we need to make sure we don't go the opposite way in that direction and deny that these are even issues. Some of us are still d- just saying, point out, these aren't even trees in the forest. They're trees in the forest. And we have to recognize that. And we have to listen to what the, the heart of our Father is saying on some of these issues. And so I agree with the statement Black Lives Matter. I agree with the statement, blue lives matter. I agree with the statement, babies' lives matter. I agree with the statement, all lives matter. If you are saying those things because you hear the cries of pain and anguish from someone being oppressed or victimized, then I stand with you. If you are saying these statements as a response to someone else's statement, to silence their message and ultimately their cries, then I don't support that, and I do not believe God supports it either. Notice I said don't support that and not I don't support you. Choosing my words very carefully, okay? Because I support you even if you say that. Because you can do that, okay? People that act like something, you can still support them without supporting what they're doing. For those who want to bring healing to our nation, then join me at the table of brotherhood, spoken of prophetically by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a table where we will be quick to listen and slow to speak, a table without political means and statements that devalue any person made in the image of Almighty God, no matter how they're acting, a table where we must pray for restoration because only God can heal our land. A table where we develop strategies to take action in response to the cries of the hurting and in response to the prayers we have prayed because faith without corresponding action is dead. Everyone is welcome at the table. Shalom, which is just the Hebrew word for peace. That's my desire. And what I believe if we continue to drill into this idea of trusting the story that I think we will find, because some of you are like, what does this have to do with First with Thessalonians? What does this have to do with the Bible? The laws that were given to the people of Israel reflected the heart of God, who he was to put him on display. The sacrifices and the ceremonial laws and the, the dietary laws that many of them had, even the clothes they wore, were not unique to the Jewish people. Meaning... Other nations, other worships of other gods, contained dietary laws. They contained the types of sacrifices that would be offered to their God. They had these types of laws. What was remarkably different among the Jewish people in Torah is the numerous ways that they are commanded to treat the foreigner, the poor, the oppressed. Other nations didn't have those laws. That sets the people of God apart from every other nation in that time period. This is an important issue for us to wrestle with. And so while we look into the book of 1 Thessalonians, I believe Paul's overall message in this book is about not losing sight of the story. Remember, God or Paul is a Jew. He studied the Jewish faith for years. He memorized, these are people of the text. When you hear me say, it's in the text, or you hear someone say, it's in the text, that doesn't just mean it's in, you know, the, 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 the context of that one chapter, that book. In the text means it's somewhere in the Scripture. When Jesus taught, and we're going to look at this more in August, but when Jesus taught, he used purposeful phrases, as a good rabbi would, that would highlight in the minds of Jews a text somewhere back there from Torah, from the prophets, from the writings. And you and I don't know our text that well. So when we hear things, we are like, wow, that's really cool. And we don't make the connection. Hey, isn't that back in Genesis 2? Or isn't that in Malachi? Isn't that we do a little bit? But these people memorized the text. Why? Because when they came back from captivity, their fear was, if we lose the text, if we miss this again, we're going back into captivity. We won't want that to happen. Let's memorize it. So they set themselves to memorize the text. But some of them, in their quest to do it, lost sight of the forest for the trees. The Pharisees were not bad people. We like to make them the enemies when we read through the Scripture, but their original intent was to know the text really, really well. And Jesus is like, you do. And he even told the people, obey what they say because they're teaching you the text, but don't do what they do. Why? Because they've lost sight of the greater issues, justice, mercy, faithfulness. That's what they've lost sight of, Jesus said. So we've got to make sure that we are people of the text, the scripture, the overall narrative that God's telling. So Paul comes to Thessalonians. If you remember, we're introduced to Thessalonians back in Acts chapter 17. Paul comes there, but the Jews, read read this with me, the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Wow. Wow. Doesn't that ring a bell today? (laughs) The Jews did it too. And I want you to pay attention. We're not going to talk about it today, but look at how Paul treated those people. Look at what he says about them and how his heart bleeds in Romans for his people. Even though they did this stuff. Hmm. So they rushed into Jason's house, whoever Jason is, in search of Paul and Silas, and they bring him out instead. So they can't find the people they're looking for, so they just persecute this Jason guy. This is a mob. This is a riot, okay? And so the Jews send him out of there. Like, at night, they just send him away, because they're like, Paul, you got to get out of here. He wasn't there as long as he wanted. We're going to hear that in the letter. And he goes to Berea, 40 miles up the road. Okay, in an age where there's no social media, the Jews somehow hear Paul's there preaching, so they go there and they agitate the crowds there too. Ah! So then Paul goes on to Athens, and in Athens, Timothy and Silas join him. When he is in Athens, he starts, his heart starts to long for the Thessalonians, because apparently he wasn't with them long enough to give them everything they, they needed. There was stuff lacking, he's going to say, in their faith. And so he sends Timothy. Timothy, go check on them. Make sure they're okay. Make sure they haven't turned away. Make sure the persecution hasn't made them turn away. Make sure they know what they're... Timothy, go find out. And Timothy brings back a great report. So Paul, either from Athens or from Corinth, okay, we know he sent Timothy from Athens, but we don't know where he is when he writes this letter. He writes them this letter. And so I put up a Um, A video from the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, they make some great videos that give you the overview of books of the Bible. They do a great one on 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Do I agree with all of it? Well, no, I don't agree with all of anybody. I mean, because, of course, if I agreed with everybody, that would be, you know, what fun would that be? So I don't have to agree with everything they say, but there's a lot of good stuff that helps you put it in context, so you'll have to go watch it. But we're going to look just at some of the verses as we walk through 1 Thessalonians, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to do it in 20 minutes. So pray for me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he starts like he starts a lot of his letters. We always thank God for all of you, continually mentioning you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work. Listen to these words because he's going to repeat them, these three words. Your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love. Your endurance prompt, inspired by hope. So those words, endurance, hope, prompt, or labor, love, work, faith, these are going to be things that he talks about often. It's not just like this cool prayer he's praying. He's a trained rabbi. He's choosing his words carefully. Okay, So he's putting words in his prayer that he's going to use throughout his letter. And so he's going to keep calling them back to this. And he he talks about what Timothy brings back and what people around them are saying. This is what people around you are saying, he says. Okay, all the way down in verse 9 and 10. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now... When we read this wrath, we instantly, because it's 1 Thessalonians, are thinking tribulation. God's going to save us from the tribulation. God's going to save us from this coming wrath. And we already make up our minds what this wrath is. And I'm not going to say that it's not that, but I'm not going to say that it is that. The other thing I wonder is why we don't talk about the resurrection in the present tense form as much as the Apostle Paul and Peter do. When we preach the gospel today... We preach the cross, and I'm not denying that we should. But when I look at the gospel writers, when I look at the writings of Paul, when I look at Peter, when I look at Jesus, Jesus didn't just say, take up your cross and follow me. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay, so the resurrection is not just something for our future. The resurrection should be a part of our gospel right now. The gospel of Jesus Christ matters to our daily lives now. It's not just the cross, it's the cross and the resurrection. And I don't think, at least what I hear of the gospel presentations in our world today, that we bring the resurrection into it, present tense, like they did. Now, I don't know what that means, but I'm starting to study and try to figure that out. Because the resurrection must mean more to us than just what's going to happen to us when we die. Okay, there's power. Paul wants to know the power of the resurrection, Not future tense, present tense. Okay, so then he goes on in chapter 2. And he talks about his suffering in Philippi. But with the help of God, we dared tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. Remember, we read about his opposition. The appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives. We are not trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We never use flatter- flattery. Or did we put on a mask? <laughs> I just think that's funny. <laughs> not the same mask at all, but it's just funny. To cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from people or anyone else, even though as apostles we could have asserted our authority. What's Paul doing? Why is he def- why is he reminding of this? There's two reasons. One, he's calling them to remember their faith. He's calling them to remember because don't lose sight of the forest for the trees. Don't let the the trouble, the persecution that you're facing cause you to lose heart in the greater story that God's telling. Some of us are looking at what's happening in our world, and we're so focused on trees, we forget the the greater narrative of God's story. Look, I'm putting my arms out everywhere. So many things are coming to my mind right now. Keep me on task, Lord Jesus. And uh, here's here's the thing. Most of our theology, most of us believe that this stuff should be happening in our world right now because we believe this is a sign of the times, and yet we're so angry about it. I don't understand. This is like what we're expecting to happen. And when it's happening, we don't know what to do with it. So that's part of the reason. He's like, don't lose sight of the greater narrative. The second part is there are people that are slandering Paul all over the place. They're saying things like he's a people pleaser. He preaches one gospel to this group, another gospel to this group. It's all about him. He preaches for money. He preaches, you know, he's two-faced. He's, he's manipulating. He's doing all these things. So Paul is, is not defending himself. He's saying, remember what I was like when I was with you. Remember. Because he knows they're hearing these reports. This is such a problem in our world today because we have this movement. Where it's our job to tell everybody in the world about every false teacher that exists on planet Earth. And rather than be up close and understand things they're saying, we we kind of lob grenades from afar. And we, we defame other people's pastors. And I don't know that we have the full narrative to be able to do that. Now, if you want to condemn false teaching, by all means, please do. Teach the truth, condemn all false teaching. But when you start going after the teacher, tread lightly. Tread lightly. Because that's what people were doing in the name of God about Paul. And Paul is like, just remember what I was like with you. And he uses these terms like nursing child, mother, Father, like he's he's like, I have such affection for you. Remember. You know what I find is we in the church world are really quick to throw out someone's years of faithfulness because of one tree. I watched this happen yesterday in our community because, because of one thing that somebody wrote or said. We're willing to throw out everything good that person has ever done because of one tree. Now, should we deal with the tree? Absolutely. If it's wrong, deal with it. But don't make that person a demon because of one tree. And that's the danger. And Paul is telling them that. Just remember what I was like when I was with you. If I was a shuckster when I was with you, then that's what I am but if I was like a mother nursing a child, that's what I am. And he's calling them to remember. So then we move on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I love this book, and I wish we could spend like forever on it, um, but we, we can't. So we sent Timothy. He's our brother. He's our coworker in God's service in spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well we're destined for them. <laughs> Greater narrative, we're destined for trials, okay? So we got to remind each other, we're destined for trials. It's okay, okay? This is an exciting time to be alive. Remember the story. Remember the narrative. God hasn't changed it at all in the last three months. <laughs> His story's still the same. So we've got to make sure we stay with it. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Here it is. Paul's like, he says it in other ways through the book too, but he's like, man, I had to leave so soon and I didn't get to finish this. But you know, some of us are like, oh, I am the voice of reason. I'm an, I should turn around and preach this to myself. Not just to you, but I can't. So we are like, if my voice doesn't get heard, who will supply what is lacking in the world's faith? (laughs) And yet Paul finds out God was able to supply what was lacking in their faith, even when he wasn't present. Don't lose sight of the forest, okay? We don't have to put this pressure on ourselves to be the voice for everyone. Be a voice. Don't be afraid to speak up. I don't agree with the philosophy we should run away from it either and not say anything. But don't carry this pressure that we got to save the world. We don't have to save the world. We preach the message, the story. So, God says, or Paul says, May the Lord make your love increase. And overflow, I love that word overflow. You know what overflow means? It means when you're, you know, like squeezed, that's what comes out. So think about what's coming out right now in our lives as we're squeezed. What's coming out? So we want to overflow with love for each other and for everyone else. Who's not included in everyone else? Even the Jews that are persecuting you that were rioting is everyone else. Everyone else. Paul's not condoning their behavior, but he's not saying treat them like, they're tr- like they should be treated in your eyes. He says, let your love overflow, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Wow, that packs a punch right there, and we're going to get to that. But then he's going to shift. There's a shift coming, and that verse just shifted it. Now he's going to start telling them how to live, okay? There, he's like, God is coming, okay? The king is coming. Here's how you need to remember to live. Don't lose sight of the story, okay? First Thessalonians chapter 4, he turns into another chapter, but he really didn't turn into another chapter. We just made a chapter. As for other matters, brothers and sisters... We instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact, you are living. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, more and more. I love that. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will says that you should be sanctified. Avoid sexual immorality. You should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. So what Paul is saying is, remember he's referring back to the Jerusalem Council. This is what the Jerusalem Council said all Gentiles should be a part of because this is the covenant God made with Noah. This is the covenant with all mankind. Avoid sexual immorality. Avoid idolatry. live in peace. These are the things that God's calling all of us to live out in our worlds. He says, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing great. Great. Do it more and more. In other words, the goal is not to be a better version of ourselves than we were yesterday. I mean, that's good. The goal is Jesus we got to be perfect. we got to get there. But lest you hear, oh, I'm such a terrible person because today I took two steps backwards. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. At the end of the letter, he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. It's almost like he's like, hey, we got to keep doing this more and more. But don't forget, he's the one doing it. He's going to do it. Don't don't lose sight of the forest. Don't let your failure today make you lose sight that God's at work in you. Don't let someone else's failure today lose sight of the greater narrative. God's at work. He's going to do this. But... Don't lose sight of the fact that we're called to be better, too, every day, more and more. Keep growing in this. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Say, I'm better than that one. No, don't even compare yourself with yesterday, You, Just keep moving more and more. And he talks about this avoiding sexual immorality. And I want to camp on it for just a second because we we talk about this. He talks about controlling your bodies. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, we are body, soul, and spirit. When Paul sometimes uses the word sarks, which is flesh, in the Bible, we translate it, some versions translate it sinful nature. I think that's an inaccurate translation. I think it's our flesh. Our flesh has desires. Our flesh has passions. They're not sinful. They're not bad. When taken to an extreme, they are bad. We are not animals. We are not just flesh. God gave us a soul. He gave us a mind so we could also reason. He gave us a spirit. Now, the spirit and soul can be marred by sin, but reasoning people can still be taught not to just act like an animal. Okay? Because we have reasoning capabilities. So, Paul, now these are believers. So Paul is like, you've got the spirit, you've got the, the redeemed mind of Christ. So sexual immorality should not be a part of your lives. You can control yourself. Now this is important because we go back to Matthew. When Jesus is teaching in Matthew, and we're gonna talk more about this in August, but Jesus says this: you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now, we read that, and we're like, Jesus is changing things. He's making the law more powerful. No, 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 no. He's not. Jesus has come to fulfill the law, Jewish term, meaning he has been given authority to teach in a way that average rabbis don't teach. Rabbis teach what they've been taught. So I'm a rabbi. My rabbi taught me. I teach what my my rabbi says this you, here's the teaching, blah, 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 I spit it out, okay? Jesus has what he's calling authority, okay? There is something in Jewish tradition where you have the authority to teach differently than your rabbi, but you have to have two people with authority, lay hands on you, give you authority, it's a long story, but it's it's there. So when the people say, Jesus teaches as one with authority, not like the teachers of the law, that's what they're saying. He's saying, You've heard this, but I say this. And what he is saying is, the law said this all along. The purpose of the law was not just to control your behavior, it was to teach you the value of humanity. I didn't give you do not commit adultery just so you wouldn't commit adultery. I gave you do not commit adultery so you would value the person and not commit adultery. So you would value your own bodies. So you would see the value placed on human beings. That's what Jesus is saying. The law all along was supposed to teach us this. But we just looked at it black and white. Don't commit adultery. I'm good. You've missed it. It's about value. And in our world today, people are like, hey, we're two consenting adults. We can do whatever we want with our own bodies. Except for the fact that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And our bodies no longer belong to ourselves. And so we, we're not even valuing our own bodies when we engage in sexual immorality or pornography or things like that. And this is not to heap condemnation on us. This is to say, hey, you've been called to live different." You've been called to control your bodies through the power of the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. Then he goes into this long discourse, and we're not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you about something. This is the second coming of Jesus. We usually refer to it as the rapture. So you have to go back later and read it. The word for coming, Jesus' is coming, is the Greek word parousia, okay? or parousia, however you want to pronounce it. I put an article on Slack that that talks about this, if you want to look at it in more detail. It's a common word, means coming. So Paul says, I long to to come to you, or I'll be coming to you. Uses parousia. But when it's referenced with a Caesar coming, an emperor coming, it's different. When a, a Caesar comes to a Roman city, he is announced with a shout. He is announced with a trumpet because if you're in that city, you don't want to not know Caesar's coming, okay? You want to be ready for this fanfare and a delegation from your city is sent out to him to bring him into your city. We look at this as Jesus is catching us up to take us to heaven and Paul is saying Jesus is on his way back to earth. The delegation is about coming to earth. And when the Roman emperor comes into the city, you take him around. First, you stop at the cemetery right inside the city gates to honor the dead. Interesting. Then you take him around and show him your city and what you have done in his name. This is, what, this is the analogy Paul is using. It's a Roman thing. And there's even times when the Roman emperor, after an earthquake or disaster, would come to a city and he would leave them a deposit to rebuild. A deposit. Almost like the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come so that when our master comes, we go meet him to show him what we have done in his name on the earth. We have this theology that it doesn't matter how we live on the earth. It doesn't matter what we do to the earth because it's all going to burn up. But yet all of our theology believes that Jesus is going to rule and reign on this planet for 1,000 years. So Paul is saying to these people, they're like, well, hey, you know, this, you, we're going to go up to heaven. All of this stuff is happening. So we can be idle. It doesn't matter how we lives. We don't even have to go to work anymore because who needs to make money? Because Jesus is coming back. Paul says, no, 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 no. You've got to understand. Live in the kingdom. Live as if the kingdom has come now because it has come now. Yes, it's not fully displayed, but we live like it is because it is through the power of the resurrection in us. We can live as citizens of the kingdom, depositing the kingdom, building the kingdom, releasing the kingdom everywhere we go. We have, we have made the gospel just about personal salvation for the individual. It's all about just you getting saved so you go to heaven one day. The gospel of the kingdom is bigger than that. It's about what you have been entrusted with, a deposit guaranteeing what is to come so that you can now walk out into this city and start making a difference because the kingdom is in you. You can make changes in our society because the kingdom is in us. That's what God is, is, Paul is saying to them. And the crazy thing is, is we have used this to preach an escapism. Oh, just can't wait till Jesus comes back and gets us out of this mess. The very thing Paul is preaching against, we have used his words to preach for. Now, Is the rapture going to happen? Is it going to be before this tribulation period? I don't know. You know what you should do? Go to Right Now Media. Watch Volume 13, Session 2. The kid's version of the book of Revelation because in end time stuff we get lost in the trees really bad. We're so worried right now about what it, is, are the hornets or the the, the killer hornets. Where, where are they in Revelation? The, this thing. Where's this person in Revelation? Where's the, And we get lost in the trees and we're missing the greater narrative of the story. Don't miss the greater narrative of the story. The greater narrative of the story is the lamb was slain. The lamb will be vindicated. Everyone who belongs to the, the Lamb will reign with Him on the earth. Those that are aligned against Him will be destroyed. Be ready for His coming. That's the story. And live in His reign right now on the earth. That's what we've been called to do. And yes, there's extremes on both sides of this issue. There's an extreme over here that says everything's just going to get better and better. And Jesus is going to show up. And there's an extreme over here that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And then we're going to escape somewhere in the middle. I think we're going to find the narrative of the story. And That's what I'm asking you to do. Find that narrative. Paul even goes on in chapter 5 and says, people are going to be saying peace and safety. If you remember from your history class, the words Pax Romana, Pax Romana, peace and safety, the Roman Empire. You know how the Roman Empire brought peace in the world? Through military, through force, through threats. And Paul is saying, everyone's saying peace and safety, Pax Romana. That's not peace and safety. The Messiah is going to bring peace and safety. And that peace is already in you. His peace is in you. Deposit it everywhere you go. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have any time left. But these verses, you come to the end of of 1 Thessalonians. And the Apostle Paul is in essence saying, um, is that verse 12? He gives us a list of stuff. I posted this list on Facebook and said this should keep us busy for the next 100 years. And it's true. um, Because Paul starts by reminding them, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you, hold them in highest regard and love because of their work. Again, Paul never says statements like that about himself, but he often does it for the church leaders. Why? Because of our, our propensity to focus on the tree and not the greater story. Okay? And we get sometimes hung up on leaders because of this one thing. And we can't get past it. And Paul's reminding them, don't live like that. That's not how the kingdom operates. Then he gives us this great sandwich. Live in peace with each other. Be patient with everyone. Live in peace with each other. Be patient with everyone. And in the middle of that sandwich, he says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Because some people now, if we're going to escape They're idle, some are disruptive. Warn them. Don't live like that. Encourage those who are disheartened. There are people that are disheartened. What's gonna happen? Our loved ones, we're so worried. We're encourage them. Come alongside them. Help the weak. Help the weak. Hand up. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. That's so important. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. No one pays back wrong for wrong. If we're treating people like they've treated us, we don't understand the kingdom. If we're talking about people because of how they're acting in a way that devalues them as a person, we don't understand the kingdom. Paul is pretty clear here. Always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Uh, what well, Paul? Didn't your mom ever teach you don't use words like everyone? I mean, surely you didn't mean this group of people or that person over there. Well, I guess he did because he said everyone. So rejoice always. There is that word again. Always rejoice, man. Paul, you're what? You're crazy. That's the kingdom. Because the kingdom's in you. How can you rejoice always when the world's chaos? Because kingdom's in me. I can rejoice always. Kingdom's here. Pray continually. Oh, trying not to get on my soapbox. But if you are not praying continually and attending prayer services regularly, um, please stop posting about prayer needing to go back in school. Okay, because prayer hasn't been taken out of school. People can pray anytime in school. Just encourage your children, pray in school. Because they can. Okay, but here's the funny thing. We've been trumpeting prayer in school, prayer in school, but we won't pray in church. Ouch. Prayer meetings are still the least attended thing that churches do all across the country. But yet, we want it in our schools. Just, you know, pray continually. So... Be thankful in all some circumstances. Thankful, not complaining, not angry, not retaliative, but thankful. Then he says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not pre- treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. What's he talking about? If you're a prophet, if that's like your office, your gifting, you lean that way, don't be offended by this. But, tr- but prophets, I love you. But you're tree people. You're tree people. You you get trees from the Lord, and you're like, everything is about this tree. Um, And you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Elijah was like you. Remember Elijah, he was a tree person, and he's like, Lord, I'm the only one left. And the Lord is like, No, you're not. Stop being dramatic. That's what he said to him. He's like, You're missing the story, Elijah. Okay? You're not the only one left. I got thousands like you. But our propensity, and that's why Paul is like, okay, you're looking at these prophecies and this prophet people, and you're like, tree, throw it out, tree, tree. And he's like, "Mm -mm. don't treat them with contempt. These people are important, necessary, bring them in. Just trust the story. And so so much in there. I know I gave you a lot, um, and I know I didn't give you a lot, but I want you to go back, read 1 Thessalonians, read it in this context, read it in different translations. You don't have to move on to 2 Thessalonians, let, come back to it. Trust the story in everything you read and in everything you experience in our society right now. Remember, there's a greater narrative that's taking place and trust the story. Trust the story. Don't lose sight of the forest because of the trees. So, Father, thank you for the things that you have done in our lives. God, thank you for the ways that you are at work in us. God, you are at work in us. We're grateful for it. God, we're not, we're not satisfied. I mean, we know that, that there's more and more love that needs to overflow. There's more and more, uh, God, cutting away of sexual immorality, more and more of controlling our bodies, and more and more, we, we've got to grow in the image. We've got to be sanctified. And so, God, we're not, we're not finished. We're not content where we are, but we're not condemned where we are either. We know you're at work. We know you're going to be faithful to finish it. And God, help us to have that same grace for our neighbor who is like us, God, our neighbor who is just like us, who's weak in some areas, God, who's wrong in some areas, who is idle in some areas, who's disruptive in some areas. God, they're just like us. Give us the same grace to trust your story, to trust the story you're doing in their lives. And God, to work with you to bring your kingdom in every situation that we find ourselves in. God, I pray for this body. I pray that you would help us to more fully understand the calling that you have placed on our lives as a church. God, help us to walk in it. Help us not to run from it because we've made mistakes or because of misunderstandings. God, help us to run toward it. Help us to embrace it. God, help us to fight for it. Help us to fight with the weapons that you've given to us. God, not earthly weapons, but weapons that tear down strongholds and principalities powers that are at work in our world. God help us to overcome evil with good. Help us to treat everyone with respect and honor and value. God no matter how they're acting at the time give us grace to live this kingdom out in our daily lives. So Father thank you for the work that you're doing in our world. Jesus we long for the day when you come so that we can take you and we can show you what we've done with what you've entrusted to us. Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful. Help us not to be idle. Help us not to be disruptive. Help us to be faithful. Father, I pray today also for those that are are weak. God, for those that are disheartened, Holy Spirit, bring comfort, bring peace, bring strength into their lives through your church through your body today pray it in Jesus name amen Amen. thanks for being here thanks for joining us online and uh, we hope pray God blesses you through the rest of your day today